0: Hello, my name is David Levy. You are listening to the Observer's Notebook podcast. Enjoy.
1: Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of and Planetary
0: Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system to seek out new observations and data Boldly go
1: where no podcast has gone before, now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Happy New Year, and welcome to Episode 109 of the Observer's Notebook Podcast, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook, and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomena, and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive, and if you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to com slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. For more information, you can find us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, this here podcast has a Facebook page as well. Just search for The Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now. Episode 109, and always one of the most popular topics every single year Comets of 2021. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast, and it's our anniversary episode every year on about the 1st of January. We get together with our comet expert, Carl Hergenrother, and talk about what's coming up in the way of comets. Welcome back, Carl.
0: Thanks for having me, Tim.
1: Yeah, now, before we get into it, if no one's heard you on the podcast before, just give them a little introduction to yourself.
0: Sure. So my name is Carl Hergenrother, and I am the... Uh... coordinator of the comets section at at the ALPO. Uh, Professionally, I'm actually a scientist at the University of Arizona, an astronomer, where I've been, usually I focus on comets and asteroids, and most recently I've been part of the OSIRIS-REx mission, which was a NASA-funded University of Arizona-led mission to go to a nearby carbonaceous near-earth asteroid and collect samples of it, something that we did actually only about two months ago, back in late October. And for that uh, job, that mission, I was part of the group that helped select the asteroid that we ended up going to, helped characterize it from the ground, and then did a lot of the first observations of it when it was still kind of a point source, you know, doing light curves and colors. And during the course of those observations, actually discovered that the asteroid was throwing off particles quite routinely, these millimeter centimeter sized particles that are either due to rocks just fracturing or cracking because of thermal cycling, you know, hot in the day, cold at night, or because of meteoroid impacts on the surface. Hmm. So that's been keeping me busy for almost the last decade of my life. Now, are you still on the program? I'm still on the program for a Good. little while longer. But okay. now that we've you know collected the sample, um, it's time to actually bring the spacecraft back home. And so the samples will be returned to Earth September of 2023. Okay. So for me, as well as a lot of us, we're kind of rolling off. So I've got a new job now lined up, which is actually my own a company that I formed with a few other people to write software to help plan future spacecraft missions. Oh, great. Great.
1: And we also had, not we, but uh, another spacecraft just returned from an asteroid, too.
0: Yes, the Japanese Hayabusa 2 mission. So this is the second Hayabusa mission. The first one went to a S-type, or you can say a ordinary chondrite or stony asteroid a couple years back named Itokawa. And this most recent one, Hayabusa 2, went to a very similar asteroid as the OSIRIS-REx target asteroid. Uh, the Japanese went to Ryugu, which looks very similar to Bennu. It's, it's bigger, but it's a very similar size, same color, same albedo. And mm-hmm. it's very possible that both Bennu and Ryugu came from the same parent in the inner solar system. Oh, wow. Rainbow. So it's kind of nice to have samples now from two different objects, even if they may actually be kind of genetically related. Okay, cool. Well, we're going to talk comets. And before we get
1: into 2021, why don't you just give a little recap to what we had this year?
0: Yeah, so, you know, almost exactly a year ago, we were sitting here doing the same thing, except we were looking forward to what comets would be visible in 2020. And at the time, it wasn't looking like a very exciting year. Um, I think I had flagged three comets that would be brighter than 10th magnitude, Mm -hmm. uh, 2P Encke, 88P Howell, and a long-period comet, 2017 T2 pan stars. And while all three of those comets did get brighter than 10th magnitude, a whole bunch of other comets were discovered in the meantime, as well as a few uh, short-period comets that had gone into outbursts and got brighter. So, of course, everyone remembers NEOWISE, Mm -hmm. uh, 2020 F3 NEOWISE, at least for us in the Northern Hemisphere, Might not have been a great comet, per se, but was definitely the best comet since Hale-Bopp. Right. So we're talking 20-plus years now. But we had about 10 or 11 comets that actually broke 10th magnitude. So it turned out to be quite an exciting year and one of the most productive years um, when you look at number of observations submitted to the ALPO for the comet section in quite a long while.
1: Good, good. And, And being 2020 the way the rest of it went, I'm just thankful none of them hit the Earth. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that it <would have> really. <laughs> so, 2021,
0: what do we got coming? So, actually, we have quite a few comets coming, and a lot of them are going to be short period comets. So, if you've got your little scorecard, you know, 1P, 2P, 3P, and you're, you know, kind of like a bird watcher and you're knocking off, you know, comets on your scorecard, this year you have a chance of getting about 40% of the first 10, wow. nine or 10 Ps on there. Yeah. So, I'm kind of going to go through. Um, as the year progresses, starting okay. with the comets that are observable now, and then as the year progresses, start talking about each comet in turn. As 2020 begins, there are not too many comets, say, brighter in 10th magnitude. We do have a few comets that were bright and were observable in the last few weeks, last few months, and they'll be fading now 10th, 11th, 12th magnitude. When I'm talking in particular, the short period comets 88p Howell, which did get up to about eighth magnitude, eighth ninth magnitude, a couple about a month ago. One fifty six P Russell Linear, which is a comet that got up to ninth tenth magnitude. This comet's a little interesting in that, for the most part, it had never really been seen to show much cometary activity, short of the discovery observations that were made in the eighties. So it usually was a very inactive object, and recently, it's Jupiter had perturbed its orbit. Its perihelion got a little, decreased, got a little less. And then all of a sudden, 156p shows up, and it's 9th-10th magnitude. So that was Mm. quite the surprise. And then one of the more recent discoveries from the past year, uh, 2020 M3 Atlas, which is a a dynamically old long-period comet discovered by the Atlas program. And that one also got up to about 7th magnitude. So as the year begins, they're all going to be around 10th magnitude, maybe a little fainter as they fade off, as they retreat back into the, the coldness of the outer solar system. But looking forward, the first comet that really will become a good, easy-to-see backyard, and I'm going to be easy to see, I mean in like an 8-inch telescope or large binoculars, is yet another Atlas long-period comet. And this is C2020R4. And this is a dynamically old long-period comet. And what I mean by dynamically old is this is a comet that has been around the block once before. It's passed close to the sun at least one time previously. And why we like those kind of comets is because, well, usually they brighten a little faster and they're less likely to kind of fake you out by being really bright when they're far out and then brightening very slowly so they're not quite as impressive closer in. A lot of the, the failures of that we can all remember, the Kahooteks, even though Tech really wasn't a failure, Ison, right. Austin, if you remember the 80s. Were these comets that kind of head faked us by being really bright, far out, and then brighter when they got closer, but nowhere near as bright as you expected had you extrapolated from those initial observations. And as we get to the end of this list of comets for 2020, we'll have an example of one of those that I think may actually end up disappointing people because it's a dynamically new comet versus a dynamically old comet. Okay. So going back to 2020 R4, was discovered in September of 2020. At 19th magnitude by the atlas project which is the asteroid terrestrial impact last alert system atlas is one of the three major nasa-funded near-earth asteroid surveys and they have a right now they've got two half meter f2 astrographs which you know i wish i had one of those in my backyard (laughs) out in hawaii and they're covering almost the entire sky pretty much almost every night looking for Asteroids that might hit us, and of course, coming up and finding the uh, comets that come by. And they've discovered 46 comets already, and they've only been discovering comets back to 2015. So they've been pretty. pretty oh, wow. Up. Yeah. Huh. So this R4 comet is visible now. It's kind of diving lower and lower in the eastern sky in the morning, right before the sun comes up. But it's about 11th or 12th magnitude. And then in, within a few weeks, meaning, you know, a week or two into the new, into the new year, we'll lose it, it'll be too close to the sun. But then around March 1st, it'll reappear. And March 1st is when it's actually going to be at perihelion at about 1.03 AU, so a little further from the sun than the earth is. But it's in a retrograde orbit, 164 degrees, so it's almost like it's on the opposite lane from the earth. So the earth and the comet are kind of can come approaching each other. And by late April, it'll actually pass a little less than 0.5 AU from the Earth. So it may actually brighten up to around magnitude 8 or 9. Okay. And it may actually look very similar to 2020 M3, which, you know, was a comet. this October, November, which was very similar. Um, didn't quite get as close to the sun, but also made a close approach to the Earth on the order of about a half a AU, astronomical unit. One AU being the distance between the Earth and the sun. Mm-hmm. Got up to 7th magnitude and looked like a big fuzzball. So that's kind of what I expect for this okay. uh, 2020 R4 Atlas comet. So the next one on the list is the first of many short period comets that are actually going to have really nice returns in 2021. The first one is uh, 7P pons Winnicky. This was a comet that was discovered, the first time it was discovered was back in 1819 by Jean-Louis Pons of Marseille, who had discovered 26 discoveries. He still holds the record for the most visual discoveries of a comet, <laughs> and was active between 1801 and 1827, so you know, discovered back in 1819. Uh, the comet was missed a few times around, but was rediscovered by uh, Frederic Auguste Theodore Winnecke of Bonn, Germany, um, who discovered, rediscovered it in 1858, and had made 10 discoveries, again, all visually. And I apologize now. I am probably going to butcher <laughs> names, place names, observatories, and probably anglicize them too much. So I, I apologize in advance. Okay. So Pons Winicki is making its twenty-fifth observed return. Uh, this comet is the parent of the June Bootids meteor shower. This is a usually a very minor meteor shower, but it has been known to outburst up to a few hundred meteors per hour. Last time it did this was in 1998. When pons winnecke was discovered, its perihelion was only 0.77 AU, but over time it has actually moved outwards, which is one reason why this comet doesn't quite get as bright as it used to. Its best return was actually back in 1927, when it actually came within a few hundreds of an AU of the earth and became a naked eye object or close to a naked eye object. This time around, mostly because its perihelion is still so far out, it's actually out at 1.23 AU, It's not getting anywhere near that close to the Earth, but it's still going to get within about 0.44 AU of the Earth. And as a result, this May or June, it will brighten up to about eighth magnitude in the morning sky. Okay. The nice thing is looking forward, the perihelion distance of this comet will actually start decreasing again. And there will be some really nice uh, uh, apparitions in like the 2040s, 2060s and 2070s as it starts getting closer to the Earth again and what causes uh, that jupiter or it's close that jupiter? is mostly jupiter okay yeah. a lot of these short period comets aphelion is around the distance of jupiter and so it's okay. jupiter's gravity that is just tugging and pulling these comets you know to and fro and causing their perihelion distances to rise and fall with time okay so moving into the summertime, the next comet on our list is 15p finley which was discovered back in 1886 by William Henry Finley from the Royal Observatory at the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa. And this was his only comet discovery. Finley is making its 16th observed return. Its best apparition was in 1906 when it actually got up to six magnitude when it came within 0.27 AU of the earth. During its last return, which was kind of the winter 2014, 2015, it actually experienced two outbursts where it brightened by two, three magnitudes and at its brightest actually got up to 7th magnitude. And I remember even seeing it visually in the backyard. That was the first time I'd ever seen a 15P Finley.
1: Hmm.
0: Now that's no guarantee that it'll ever outburst again in our lifetime or definitely not outburst during this upcoming year, but it is something to watch out for. This comet has shown, at least the last time, shown a little propensity for being unstable. You'll notice what a lot of the comets I'm talking about, especially the ones with perihelion around 1AU, they have meteor showers. Mm-hmm. Finley doesn't for some reason. And no one really knows why. And there's quite a few papers that have been written on it saying, well, Finley should be producing meteors and we're not seeing any meteors. Hmm. That's interesting. That, is, oh, go ahead.
1: that 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 is interesting. That's it's yeah, because you think about comets and there's usually a meteor shower associated with it. And could that be something with the makeup of the comet
0: itself or It could be that it's just the dust that it's producing isn't large enough to produce meteors. It's too small and it's being blown away. Um, But when you look at the comet itself, it looks like a normal short period comet. Okay. The interesting thing is the most recent outburst that happened a couple on the last return actually could result in an observable meteor shower in 2021. So if a meteor shower were to come from 15P Finley... It would be late September, early October. It's more of a southern shower. It would be coming out of the uh, the constellation of Ara, the Atlas, uh, the Altar, sorry, which is south of Sagittarius. So it's possible maybe this is the year Finlay actually does produce a meteor shower. But for those of us who are here to see the comet itself, it'll be best this summer in July and August. Though it might peak only around magnitude ten, it'll be a morning object and will be better from the northern hemisphere. Looking forward, though, especially in 2034, it'll come much closer, 0.19 AU. And in 2060, it comes within four hundredths of an AU. So Finlay is going to be a nice comet to watch in the next couple of decades as it makes some nice close approaches to the Earth. Okay. The next on our list is 4P-Fay. And this is a comet I know I've seen a couple times. It seems like every other return, which means every roughly 15 years, Faye is a nice comet to see. It was discovered visually back in 1843 um, when it was a bright object. It was fifth, sixth magnitude at the time. It no longer gets quite that bright. Not really sure why. Perhaps it was in an outburst in 1843. Perhaps, Perhaps it was because its perihelion distance had decreased, and that was just enough to make it brighter than normal. But Faye itself is making its 22nd observed return. And usually returns are best when perihelion is around November. This time around, perihelion's early September at 1.62 AU, so pretty close. It gets within 0.94 AU of the Earth, and it'll be a nice morning object, and it'll probably be best, at its best, will be around 10th magnitude, maybe magnitude 10 and a half.
1: Now, you said it's usually best when it's around November.
0: Why, why, Why is that? That just happens to be the time of the year where the Earth is directly in line with its closest point to the Sun. Okay. So that's when the comet would not only be at perihelion, but also the minimum distance from the earth. Because I, okay. Because having a, a,
1: a standard month where the comet's best, I don't think I've ever heard that before. Mm. Okay.
0: So for example, back in 1991, which was the first time I saw comet Faye, it was, it's perihelion distance was, or perihelion time was exactly at the right time. So it ended up its closest, uh, Distance to Earth was 0.62 AU, which is about the minimum it ever could be. Okay. And one thing to watch out, especially for CCD observers with Faye, is that on multiple occasions now, this comet has shown a long dust trail. In fact, in 2006, the dust trail was imaged out to 10 degrees from the nucleus. So if only this comet would get close to the Earth, we might have a really nice meteor shower Mm -hmm. for it. But for those, especially those people who've got those Raza. Schmidt cameras from Celestron, those 8-inch, 11-inch, 14 Mm -hmm. inches with F2, you might actually notice that there's a trail going off the nucleus for well out of your field of view. If this comet behaves the way it has in the previous two returns. So now as we kind of leave the summer and go into the uh, autumn or fall months, at least for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, a whole bunch of activity shows up. We've got a whole bunch of comets coming in almost nearly at the same time so we have 6p Rest, which um, was supposed to be a target of the contour spacecraft mission the comet nucleus tour mission contour was a nasa discovery mission and is the only nasa discovery mission that actually failed mm. unfortunately when it was doing its uh it's burn. it's maneuvered to leave Earth orbit and travel on to, and it was supposed to fly by 2P Enki, 73P Schwarzman-Wachman 3, and 6P the rest. It exploded. Oh, my. Yeah. So unfortunately, we don't have any high-resolution images of this comet, but we could have had things worked out a little differently. So the rest discovered this comet in 1851. It's one of three discoveries he made. Um, it turns out the comet was also observed as far back as 1678. When it made a close approach with the Earth, but of course it wasn't rec- it, back then. Observations were few and far between, so no predictions could really be made. And then it was rediscovered in 1851. Um, for a lot of the old timers, they may remember observing this comet back in 1976 when it came yeah. within 0.15 AU of the Earth It got up to fifth magnitude.
1: Yeah, I think I remember seeing that.
0: Yeah, and the comet section is full of observations yeah. and the rest from about that time yeah. period. For 2021, this will be its 21st observed return. And it goes around every six and a half years. And again, like a lot of these comets, when you got that half year in the period, that means good and bad returns kind of alternate one after the other. Um, similar to, because it's perihelion, is just outside the Earth's orbit, 1.35 AU, there's, again, a best time to observe it. If perihelion is in August, then you get a really close approach to the Earth. This year, perihelion's in mid-September, so the comet will be within 0. 0.75 AU, not as good as it could be, but good enough that the rest will actually peak in October and November, a little brighter than 10th magnitude, when it'll be an evening object. Okay. Around that same time, we're also going to be seeing 8P Tuttle. Like I said, there's a lot, if you had your, you know, we've already seen 4P and, and 6P and 7P, and now we've got 8P. So you can get a lot of these early uh, periodic low-numbered periodic comets all next year. So 8P Tuttle—it's um, kind of ironic because last night was the peak of the Ursid meteor shower, which was predicted to be—I wouldn't say a meteor storm, but a little more active than usual—and the Ursid meteor shower is actually from this comet 8P Tuttle, mm. which was first discovered back in 1790 by uh, Maysan, who was a uh, in France and was one of the uh, competitors with Messier discovering comets back and forth. Machin discovered seven comets between 1781 and 1799. The comet was then rediscovered in 1858 by Horace Tuttle, who made six discoveries. Now it's interesting that of Tuttle's six discoveries, he discovered not only the parent of the Ursid meteor shower, but also the Leonids and the Perseids. So he did a really good job of discovering the the big polluters (laughs) in near-Earth space, (laughs) meteor-wise. Tuttle's got a longer period than most of these short period comets on the list. It actually comes around every 13 years. So this will only be its 13th observed return, even though we've seen it back to 1790. Its last return in 2008, it got up to fifth magnitude because it came within a quarter of an AU of the Earth. And at the time it was actually close enough that it was observed with radar. So we actually know something about the size and shape of the nucleus. And it's actually a a binary, um, a contact binary, where you've got two bodies that are basically touching each other. And it's a pretty big comet nucleus. It's 10 kilometers in length on one side. You don't see too many comets that are that large. So it's got
1: basically two nucleuses orbiting
0: each other? Kind of, but they're touching, yeah. Okay, wow. So they're actually touching. So yeah, it's 10 kilometers long and each of the, what they call lobes. Okay. Are you know, between three or four kilometers in width. So it's a, it's a fairly large comet. Hmm. And this year it comes to perihelion on August 27th. And it gets down to about 1.03 AU, which makes sense. We get a meteor shower from it. So we know it has to at least come near 1 AU, if not right at 1 AU. And this year, it's going to be best around September, October, November, when it'll get up to 8th, ninth magnitude. Now, the interesting thing is the comet is really far away. It's almost on the other side of the sun. But it's a fairly active comet which is why it could get as bright as 5th magnitude last time. But this time, it'll only be around 8th or ninth magnitude. Though it will be a little bit of a low elongation, so it could be tough for people who don't have a clear view of their horizon. So the next comet on the list, and again, this is one that will be best kind of towards the last few months of the year, is one that most people have probably heard of because it was in the news a lot a couple years ago. And this is 67P Shurimov-Jerasimenko. This comet was discovered in 1969 photographically at the Alma-Ata Observatory, which was then the Soviet Union, but is now in Kazakhstan. And the reason why this comet is so well-known is because it was the target of the European Space Agency's Rosetta mission, which went to 67P, Mm -hmm. orbited it, and even dropped a lander, the Philae lander, on the surface. Actually, the main spacecraft, Rosetta, is itself on the surface. They actually ended up landing it. Hmm. This is the one that kind of looks like a duck a little bit. Okay, like a rubber ducky. <laughs> yep. Um, that seems that may actually end up being a, not that a rubber ducky shape is common, but as we mentioned with the earlier comet Tuttle, where it was a contact binary, and we've seen Hartley two is a contact binary. It's possible Halley's at least bilobal, meaning two pieces glued together. That that may just be a common shape for comets. Mm. It's actually a common shape in for Kuiper belt objects, and that's where short period comets come from. So whether these shapes are formed because you've got two objects, remember, if you're out in the Kuiper Belt region, you're out 40 AU or so, things are moving a lot slower out there. Right. It could be that when two objects kind of crash into each other, they don't obliterate each other like they would closer to the sun. They kind of get glued together.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Or it's possible it's a single object and then as time goes on and you've got gas jets coming off and sublimation of ices to solar heating. You get erosion and maybe the comet breaks in two and then reforms back together. But it does seem like it's a, a common shape that we're seeing now among comet nuclei and Kuiper Belt objects. These uh, <laughs> two objects kind of glued together. And 67P is definitely an interesting <laughs> shape when you look at it, especially when we first saw it. So Sherimov-Jerish currently gets down to about 1.28 AU for, uh, to the sun. And this time around, it will actually... So 67P was discovered photographically in 1967 from the alma Ata Observatory, which used to be in the, the Soviet Union, but is now in Kazakhstan. And currently, its perihelion is around 1.21 AU. And this year, it'll get the perihelion on November 2nd which is why this November, December, the comet will actually be at its best when it will actually brighten up to about ninth magnitude and be fairly close in the opposition sky, a little skewed to the morning side. Okay. So the next comet on the list is yet another comet that has been visited by a spacecraft. And this is 19P Borelli, which was discovered back in 1905. And one of 10 discoveries that Borelli made between the 1870s and the 1910s. Now, Borelli was the target of the Deep Space One mission, which is a mission that probably a lot of people have forgotten about or maybe didn't even know about.
1: long time ago.
0: Yeah, originally it was called the Space Technology Program. It was really a way for NASA to uh, do kind of technology demonstration missions. The first mission was renamed Deep Space One, flew by Borelli as well as another near-Earth asteroid. Uh, Deep Space Two actually was a bunch of probes that would be uh, shot into the surface of Mars. But unfortunately, it was part of one of the failed Mars landers. So it never quite worked. But Deep Space 1 did fly by Borelli. And Borelli, again, looks very similar to some of these other ones we talked about, where it looks more like a bowling pin. (laughs) So again, you're seeing this shape where you've got two components kind of glued together. This will be its 16th of every turn this time around. Um, Perihelion is actually next year in 2022, February 1st, 2022, at 1.31 AU. Hmm. And it'll peak around magnitude 9 at that time, but it'll be almost as bright at the end of 2021. And it'll be primarily an evening object. The next return in 2028 will be its best return since 1987. In 2028, it'll actually come within 0.41 AU. So it's a good return this year, even better next time in 2028. Okay. Look forward to that. Yeah. So now, starting with Borelli, we've kind of gotten into those comets that will be best in 2022, but will still be bright enough to be seen in backyard telescopes at the tail end of 2021. So we've got three more comets to talk about here. So the next one is actually our last short period comet. And this is 104P Kowal. It was discovered photographically in 1979 by Charles Kowal, who was using the Palomar 48-inch which was the the big photographic Mm -hmm. Schmidt telescope still in service. And in fact, it is the telescope that is being used currently by the ZTF or the Zwicky transient facility who do discover comets. Hmm. So it's still being used to discover comets. It's interesting that a Kowal discovered six comets, five of which bear his name and all six are periodic. And the most interesting one is the one that doesn't bear his name. That's Hmm. actually Chiron, which was the first centaur ever discovered. Because when it was discovered, no one recognized the cometary activity at the time. And hence, it was named like an asteroid would be named. Okay. Yeah. So 104P Kowal is not a super runty comet. It's got a nucleus of about two kilometers. But it's a comet that, honestly, just sometimes it's bright and sometimes it's not. It has a history of going at the outbursts. In fact, it was observed... Before it was discovered by Kowal in 79, I think the previous return before that, it was actually observed visually in an outburst by uh, Leo Boethan, who uh, was a visual comet hunter. He actually would go on to discover a short period comet in the 80s, but he was a priest in the Philippines. And if, my, if I can remember my story correctly, correct, he would mail his comet observations to the Minor Planet Center in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And for a long time, by the time the mail would get to Cambridge, it'd be weeks after the discovery observation was made and the comet would be lost. And so it was interesting when people actually went back and realized after the discovery of this 104P COWAL that, hey, hmm. this comet, when you integrate its orbit back, matches the position of one of Boethan's discoveries back in the 70s. Oh, my. So assuming this comet behaves normally or nominally, it could become as bright as magnitude 10 and a half near its perihelion in January 2020. And it should be almost similarly as bright near the end of 2021. It's also possible this comet may be less bright. It may also be an outburst. So we'll see. But that's just one to keep on the list. If you're not burnt out by observing all the other comets. (laughs) Never, never. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last two comets on the list are Two long period comets of which we've had very few so far in this discussion right we have another atlas discovery 2019 l3 discovered back in june at 18th magnitude and it'll be best in january of 2022 when it'll be at its perihelion at a distant 3.55 au but it's possible it could be around magnitude 11 if it continues brightening the way it has been up till now so that's one to look forward to And the last comet is a comet that we're probably going to hear a lot about just because, well, it's going to be around for a long time. And this is C2017K2PanStars. This is one of 240 comets that PanStars has its name on currently. So PanStars really is a comet discovery machine. This comet was discovered in the middle of 2017 when it was 16 AU from the sun. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Wait for the next thing. Astronomers were able to find images going back to May of 2013, four years before its discovery, when uh, it was out at 23 to 24 AU from the sun. This so a we have, yeah. But is it? That's the <laughs> <But> thing. Okay. <laughs> Now, remember, we all remember Hale-Bopp. And Hale-Bopp was discovered a ways out. Of course, Hale-Bopp was 10th magnitude when it was discovered. It was already pretty bright. Imagine if the asteroid surveys were... The asteroid surveys we have now were active during Hale-Bopp time. And the caveat, Hale-Bopp wasn't sitting dead center in the middle of the summer Milky Way, Mm -hmm. which is one reason why it wasn't discovered, you know, years beforehand. But if Hale-Bopp were, you know, sitting going through near the celestial galactic pole or something like that. Nowadays, inbound, we might have seen that thing 30 AU out. Wow. You know, 10 years before perihelion or something like that. So pan is definitely interesting because it was abnormally bright and active when really, really far out. Unfortunately, it is a dynamically new comet. And going Mm -hmm. back to the discussion we were having earlier, dynamically new comets are making their first trip through the inner solar system. So for the first time possibly ever, they're coming close enough to the sun that really volatile ices on their surface like ammonia and methane and carbon monoxide are boiling off. Mm -hmm. And so we saw this with comet Ison when the comet Ison was really close to perihelion and we were able to see it in the, you know, the Soho images uh, Zdenek Sekanina, a comet researcher at JPL, was able to model the dust trail that was following behind ISON and showed that it was active out the 20 to 40 AU out. Wow. So that's probably what we're seeing now with this Panstar, is this new uh, K2 comet. So perihelion is until December 2022. So two years from now. Wow. Though it's only going to get down to 1.8 AU. So it's not like it's getting really, really close to the sun. But the problem is it's brightening at a normal rate. Um, When you do your comet magnitude Mm -hmm. equation, Mm -hmm. you know, 2.5 N is kind of what we use as the photometric parameter. 10 is really good. That's kind of what we used to consider average. Eight is about what a dynamically new comet does. And usually yeah. when people get kind of head faked and tricked out by these bright comets, they assume 10 and they extrapolate that into perihelion. And they go, oh, wow, it's going to be super bright when they should be using eight. Yeah. Well, this comet's been following that kind of eight power law there. So that means it could be as bright as seventh magnitude yeah. towards the uh, tail end of 2022, 2023. But right now it's around 15th magnitude. It may brighten as much as 12th magnitude at the end of 2021. But yeah, K2 Pan Stars will definitely be an object that we'll be able to watch for months. Oh, fantastic. Tell end of 2021 into 2023. Okay. And of course, these are just the comets we know about. Right. If you go back to, you know, when we did this a year ago with, you know, predictions for 2022, and I said, there's only going to be three comets out there. <laughs> well, one reason for that is because one, two, three, four, five, six, seven comets that got brighter than seventh magnitude hadn't been discovered yet right so right. there's probably a pretty good chance that even the brightest comet of 2021 hasn't been seen yet we don't even know about yep
1: that would be great yeah because it was such a pleasant
0: surprise to have neowise pop up oh yes yeah especially after you know we had a couple failures earlier 2019 in y4 atlas right. and 2020 f8 swan and you know they brightened really quickly for a short bit That got them in the news, got everyone interested. Yep. And then they broke up. (laughs) Right. They did their dive into the sun. (laughs) Did their dive into the sun. And then you have comets even like, you know, Eremos, which people were able to follow up to uh, Mm -hmm. Erasmus, sorry. Erasmus. Which people were able to follow up to a few weeks ago and is now actually in the Soho field of view at fifth magnitude. Um, When it was discovered, it was really faint. didn't look like anything special. But then it did brighten quickly and continued to brighten quickly and became a nice visual object.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like a decent year. Yeah. I mean, nothing majorly bright, but like you said, that can change on a moment's notice. And if it does change, I'm sure you and I will get together and chat about them sometime during
0: the year. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's a great year for short period comets. I'll have to admit, a comet like 7P, Pons, Winnecke, I've never seen before. I've never seen the rest. I don't know why. Huh. Probably because usually it's good in the summer and summer is not a great time to observe anything in Tucson.
1: That's true. You don't want to
0: go outside in the summertime in Tucson. <laughs> Heck, I haven't even observed AP Tuttle before. And again, because it's yeah. really good in the summer and it's not a great time to observe. Because we have the monsoon. We have the rainy season. That's right. That's right. Yep. Wow.
1: All right, sir. Well, yeah. Anything else to add before we close this down?
0: Yeah. So at the comments section, we're interested in, you know, helping anyone who, you know, if you have more information, you can reach out to contact us. You'll have the contact information on the, the podcast page here. And we're in, you know, any contributions, observation contributions be really worthwhile. Um, you know, whether images, sketches, or even just saying I saw the comment and it looked fuzzy. Yeah.
1: And those of you that have images of Neowise that you just have sitting on your hard drive, if you have some information on where, when you were, when you took the photographs and any processing you might have done, send those along to Carl as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. We Great. received over 200 images of Neowise. It's fantastic. Big. Yeah. Fantastic. Almost like the old days. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Carl. Well, this has been fun. Thanks for having me. And hopefully we'll have some updates going on as the year progresses.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank Carl Hergenrother for coming on and give us a preview of what we can expect in 2021 for Comets. We upload a new episode of The Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. You can listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month where you'll receive one year's membership to the Alpo and also producer credits on the podcast. With that, I'd like to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer for their generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon as well as the uh, link for the Alpo is in the show notes. And at this time, I'd also like to thank all of our Patreons who are so generous and give a little bit every month, just help out the podcast. Jerry White, Jason Inman, Matt Will, Steve seedentop Matthew Benton, Ken Poshedley, Stephen Bennett, Michael Moore, Sean Dills, Frank schenick Damien alice and Charles White. I want to thank all of you very much. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at ObserversNVPod. Until next time. My hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening, and please stay healthy, my friends.
0: Uh, You know what? The problem is I didn't write down when it's actually at perihelion this year. That was the missing piece of information. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is I actually had, I cut comments off the list. There was almost like too much to talk about this year. <laughs> Last year I was making up comments.
1: I'm going
0: leave it? that in. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh,